Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day, everybody, and God bless all. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. I want to thank Him for bringing us all here together today, and I want to thank everybody coming from SoundCloud and all over the world. Bless you and thank you, and uh, give praise to God for bringing us all here and uh, filling us with His wisdom today. He's about to do, and I'm just thankful for all the wisdom He's given me all week long to bring to you guys and this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, well, praise be to God. Let's open up with a word of prayer. And then uh, after that, I'll begin our service and get to our title and our thoughts from last week's message. And uh, well, we got to start off and ask God to bless us with, ask us to ask God in prayer to bless us of our, with our service here and, and endow us with his wisdom and knowledge and guidance. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for your wisdom and knowledge and guidance. Lord, your word says, you say in your word, Lord, for my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And so, Lord, I'm so thankful that, Lord, that we can go to your word and we can get that light and we can get that wisdom, Lord God, that you offered. It's right there, Lord. It's right there always for everybody and on, on, for multitudes of, of people in this world, Lord, and, and four and five Bibles in each house in America, Lord God. We, we have your word everywhere here in America. Not so much everywhere in the world, but... Lord, you know those that are really interested in you, and you get your word into those hands of those people that are really interested in you. So thank you for your guidance that you've given us in your word. Thank you, Lord God, that is our foundation, Lord, to know you, and you hold yourself to it, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would open up our wisdom, or open up wisdom and knowledge for us today, Lord God, and help us to understand what you have to tell us today in your word. Keep the devil out, Lord God, keep distractions out. And help us just to clearly understand what you have to tell us today. And I pray, dear God, that you would be glorified and honored, Lord, in what we do with this information that we get of you today, Lord. For it is foolishness, Lord. Wisdom not applied is foolishness, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't just hear the wisdom of you today and of your word and do nothing with it. I pray that we would do something with what we hear from you today. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be our chapter verses today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 13. Again, that's Matthew chapter 26, 1 through 13. But first, before I go through those, I'm going to give my thoughts from last week's message. The separation of the sheep and the goats. The very last part of Matthew chapter 25. When you boil down in a nutshell, in essence, what Jesus said in last week's account of the separation of the sheep and the goats, so that he could judge them, remember, to the uttermost, he simply said this. He said to the sheep on my right hand, he said, you live lives of tangible love towards me and those that are mine. And because I saw this about you, I knew that you really loved me. And because I know you really love me, I'm saving you and I'm allowing you to inherit my eternal kingdom forever. While to the goats on his left hand, he said, I know that you didn't live lives of tangible love towards me and those that are mine. And I also saw this about you. And I knew that you didn't really love me. Or those that are mine. And because I saw this, because I know this, you shall not enter my eternal kingdom, and I will not save you. In these simple but powerful words, Jesus says there, we see that what? God sees everything that we do. Think about it. Surely, he couldn't have known these things about these two people uh, groups, about how they lived, unless he saw their actions, right? I mean, it's common sense, right? He knew that those lived for him, they lived for him, and they loved him, and he knew that those that didn't live didn't live for him because he saw it. So he sees, even today, if we live a life of love towards him or not. And he sees and knows who or what we really live for and live for. 
In Genesis 16.13, God inherits a name from Hagar. Abram's, he wasn't called Abraham yet, Abram's maid who was pregnant with his soon-to-be-born first son, Ishmael. She named him El Roy. You are the God who sees. El Roy. She said of God, you are the God who sees. Hagar gave God this name after he came to her as she was running away from an angry Sarai, before she was Sarah, who had dealt harshly with her because she was being prideful because Hagar got pregnant before Sarah or Sarah or Sarai did. So Sarai couldn't get pregnant. Hagar did. Hagar looked at Sarah with contempt. Sarah was being harsh with her and she ran. As she was running, God came to her. And then as he came to her and talked with her, she said, you are the God who sees Elroy. She gave him this name. The major point I'm making about God and Christ here is this, if you haven't, couldn't already tell. God and Christ see everything that we do or anybody that ever has done ever and who or what we really live for and love. And with that said, I ask you today, do you really live a life of tangible love towards God and his kids or don't you? God gives you and me the choice to love him back or not to love him back. Pretty much, especially in America, everybody knows that God loves them. Talk to a Hispanic guy. I was shopping on Friday and he saw my little gospel tracks in my cart and he looks at them and he stares at them and I said, oh, you like these? He said, oh, I, I, I said, yeah, could I have one of those? And I said, sure. I said, you know, God loves you. He goes, oh, I, I've known that since I was a kid. But knowing that God loves you and deciding to love God back with your tangible love and your actions is a whole different ball game. And God gives us the choice to love him or not to love him back. The great thing about choosing to love God back is if you live a life of tangible love toward him, then he sees it and he knows it and he'll be faithful to you when your turn comes to die. As Jesus told us last week in last week's message, and he will reward you with an entrance into his glorious kingdom and, and into eternal life and you will get to be with him forever because that's what you wanted while you were alive. But the horrible thing about the choice to not love God back is if you don't live a life of love towards God back, you know, you know he loves you. If you don't live that life of love back towards him, then God will not accept you when you die, as Christ said last in last week's message. And he will condemn you and send you away from his presence forever because you didn't want to love him anyway. So why would you want to spend forever with someone that you didn't want to be with here on earth? Well, that's one of the great things about God. He's fair, and he will allow you to make your own choice in life for now and for your death. He's just like that. And for those that choose to seek him and love him now, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 Now many people know who the person of God and the person of Christ are, like I know of the President of the United States of America, President Barack Obama. But knowing who God is, like I know of President Barack Obama, is not the way that God and Christ want people to know them. God and Christ want you to know them like a husband knows their wives, with an intimate, personal, deep relationship type of knowledge. And this knowledge of Christ and God only comes through your willful effort to seek God, to really know God. Not, not seek Him like you'd uh, seek a glass of water that's in the sink where you just get up and you go to the water and turn it on, but seek Him like you haven't had water and you're wandering through a desert for days. You need a glass of water or you're going to die. That's how God wants you to seek Him, like you need Him so badly that you're going to die. And the Bible says that he leaves whether or not we diligently seek him and come to live a life of love to him up to us. You either choose to seek him or you don't. And if you do seek him, he will see it. And if you don't seek him, he also sees that. For he is Elroy. 
the God who sees. Who or what does God see that you seek and really live a life, or excuse me, who or what does God see you seek and really love in the life that he has given you to live? Him or the things of the world? Do you seek God with this life that God has given you to live? Or do you seek the things of the world? And do you love the things of the world? For the Bible says for the, the one who has the love of the world, the love of the, the love of the Father is not in that one. God loves you and wants to save you. But are you seeking Him and Christ diligently so that they can see this and reward you with peace now and everlasting life forever? Because you really cared to know who they are personally? Or aren't you? Because either way, God sees it, for He is Elroy. So I implore anyone out there, anyone in this world that's listening to this message, please come and seek the Lord and seek Him all the days of the life that God has given you to live. For to me, this is the greatest thing that one can do in this life now. Seek God diligently. So I'd love to even switch gears because we are. We're going to stop focusing on last week's message and we're going to turn to this week's section of Scripture. But we actually are carrying something over from last week's message to this week's message. And that is what I kind of started with. Our title for today's sermon is Elroy, the God who sees. God just gave me that title this morning. I had no idea what I was going to title. It's kind of a mishmash of scriptures today. They fit together, but, you know, there was, I was struggling with what God wanted the title to be, what the main theme would be, and God gave it to me. So here we go. Again, title, Elroy, the God who sees. It's going to be about the God who sees. And our scripture is going to be Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 13. But I'm not going to read them all in the beginning like I normally do. I'm going to read them right as we continue to go through our scripture. So I'll read them in just a moment. A few more words. Last week we read of Jesus telling us and his disciples of the last thing he has to say upon the original questions the disciples asked him back in Matthew 24, 3. Do you remember those questions? If you don't, I've got them. Because remember, all we kept reading up till last week was Jesus' response to Matthew 24, 3. The disciples come to him and they say, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's where these three questions that the disciples asked Jesus way back, about a chapter or more or so ago, almost two chapters ago. Or in other words, that last question they asked him is kind of how we finished. Uh, When will be the sign of the end of the age or when will be the end of the world? In our last teaching, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, was what I believe to be the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, which is really the end of the world. I thought it ironic. I still think it's still the great white throne judgment. I'm not 100% sure, but I still have an unction that it is because that was Jesus' last dissertation, last teaching on the last question of when will the end of the world be? Literally right after Revelation 20, that great white throne judgment, we have Revelation 21.1, and it says to us, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That was John speaking. He saw the great white throne judgment, the very end of the world as we know it right now, like this world that we know today is all going to be gone. And in Revelation 21.1, he sees a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, gone away, being destroyed, completely obliterated, dissolved with great fire, Peter says, destroyed. New heavens and new earth are coming. So, And in verse 1 of this week's message, Jesus tells us, verse 1, chapter 26, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples. So Jesus then again, like I spoke about last week, confirms that he has indeed finished up answering the disciples' questions about the end of the world and when will these things be. But now we see that Jesus has something else to tell the disciples. What is this next thing that Jesus wants to tell them? Look to verse 2. He says to them, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So he says, Hey, you know, remember, 
after two days, I'm gonna, we're going to go, we're going to have this Passover meal, and you know what? I'm going to be taken, and people are going to take me, and they're going to betray me, and they're going to kill me. Remember I told you guys, remember, 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 remember. So Jesus finds it necessary yet again. Why do I say that he keeps saying remember? Because this is, by the way, the third or fourth time that Jesus has told his disciples in Scripture, and he warns them that this time of his betrayal, his arrest, his betrayal, and his crucifixion are coming. He reminds them over and over and over again. We don't know how many times exactly. We know that this is the third or fourth time recorded in Scripture, but then we also have other events. We had not only do we have him telling them, but we have our events here. Matthew uh, chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. You can look at it. We're going to read it real quick. That happened right after he reminded them. Verse 6, this is an event that happens right after he reminds them of the third or fourth time recorded in scripture of his leaving. He's going to leave. He's going to be killed. He's going to be tri- betrayed. He's going to, you know, eat the Passover, and then they're going to be, they're going to kill him. He's going to be taken away from them. And the, this event happens. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, so they were now in Bethany right after he warns them here. And a woman came to him saying, so this woman comes and she has an alabaster, an alabaster flask uh, of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So imagine he's at Simon the leper's house. They're sitting at the table. They're probably eating or maybe they're just drinking. Maybe they're conversing. And so they're sitting there and this woman comes to him and she has this alabaster flask and she pours it all over his head and it pours all down his body, right? Because in those days they sat on the floor as they ate at the table, not in a chair like we do now. And then it goes on to say, verse 8, but when his disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why the waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. So either it was Judas or another disciple. There's another accountant, John. I don't think it's the same one, but there was another lady, Mary, and it was Judas who kind of stepped in there. I kind of think it was the same here. I don't think Judas liked wasting money. We know that Judas robbed the disciples' kind of money bag. So either way, the disciples or Judas here were angry. They were like, why did you waste this oil? I don't understand. We could have been, you know, sold for the poor, you know. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, listen to what he says. Now, it's very key here as far as him being taken away from them. Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. So now he just warns them of this terrible, horrible event that's come, going to come upon him. He's going to, they're going to go up to, you know, they're going to go up, they're going to have the, the feast, and then they're going to go, and, and then he's going to be betrayed, and then he's going to be arrested, and he's going to be killed. And now, this woman, right after he tells them this, they travel to Bethany, a whole different scenario, a whole different scene, whole different, you know, they're having like a little get-together, and then this woman comes, and then what she even does reminds them of what he just said. I'm, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. And that's it. That, that's it. They're going to take me away from you. And I'm going to be killed. Verse 13, he says, Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Because she came and anointed his body for burial. For his death. What he was just telling them about. That's amazing. So as I said, not only does Jesus tell them here in Matthew 26, 2, making this his third or fourth time that he reminds them about the fate that he was about to suffer, but then right after this reminder, the very next event that happens is an event that speaks of his death and him being taken away from them. So between certain events that happened, because I'm sure there were more than there were more events than this, and 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 his reminders to them, which again, third or fourth in scripture, no, nobody knows how many more he would have said off the record, you would say. How many more times he told them that the disciples didn't record it or write it down because the Spirit didn't lead him to for redundancy's sake. There's no way to tell just how many times that he would have reminded them of his brutal and gruesome fate. 
Why did Jesus feel it was necessary to tell his disciples and let them see the events that would remind them of his faith of betrayal and death? I said it before, and I still believe it to this day. With all my heart, I still believe that it was because he wanted them to be ready for them. You know, he wanted them to be ready for what they were going to go through. They followed him. They gave up their livelihoods as fishermen. They they forsook their families and they, they left everything just to follow Jesus. Now, their master, the one that they professed we would die for you, even though they all forsook him, they said, I'll die for you. Still, they gave up their lives for him. He was about to be ripped out of their hands. And to me, I see that as a, that's a pretty intense thing. That'd be losing, you know, even worse than a wife or a son or, or a mother or a father because you're talking about they left their families, they left, they left their loved ones to follow this man, this God-man. And now he was about to be ripped away from their hands by evil people. Well, they loved him very much. They were about to lose him to evil people. And I believe Jesus kept reminding them because he didn't want them to be caught off guard or devastated when it happens. But now, sadly, with all the time that Jesus reminded them of, reminded his disciples of this terrible fate and of him being taken away from them by betrayal and murder, along with how he allowed them to see the events like we read it today with this woman, were they really paying attention? Are we paying attention when God speaks to us? Were they paying attention with all the times Jesus spoke to them? Bible says no. The Bible records that after Christ was taken away from them, and after he was crucified and murdered, and after they buried his body in a tomb, the disciples gave it up. They walked away. Even though he told them multiple times as well too, I'll be resurrected, I'm, coming, I'm going to come back to you, but I'm going to die first, they gave it up. They, in fact, it doesn't even read when you read in the scriptures like they even thought he was coming back at all. And not only did they just give up, they gave up to the point of they no longer walked in Jesus' footsteps. They gave it up. They completely went back to their homes, their families. They, they just gave it up. They, they still met, but they met in secret. They were scared because they thought, wow, they killed him. I'm sure they were thinking, oh, they're going to come and kill us too. We were his followers, Right? But they literally gave up following him after he died. Had they have been paying attention to all the different times he told them, and the fact that he said, I'm going to come back to you then too, they would have been, they should have been excited that he died so that he would have come back. But sadly, they weren't paying attention. And the Bible actually tells us that until Christ resurrected after the third day and actually showed up amongst them and actually came back to them they they did they were done they had they had forsaken everything to follow christ and then after and then they hit and after he died they gave it up that they gave up everything gave up all his ways turned away from following him went back did nothing and then when he showed up resurrected then they got excited and then they continued on and then they eventually died for and gave their lives up for christ because they you know he was resurrected and they had proof, and then they would go off and do that then. But how sad that they weren't paying attention to all the different times that he told them, plus the times that they saw events like this happen today, and that they weren't paying attention. What can we take away from this today? What can we take away from this today with our scripture? We could take away that we need to make sure that when God speaks to us in his word or by his spirit, to our hearts, because God speaks to me in my heart by his Holy Spirit, and he speaks to me in his word. We need to make sure that when God speaks to us, we listen. Whenever God speaks to you, you need to listen. If you're seeking him on an answer, and and all of a sudden you hear a, a pastor on the TV, boom, and it's the exact subject that you were praying about. You need to know that's God talking to you. You need to know whenever you're praying about something and then somebody comes to you and then they start talking to you about a subject, that's God talking to you. So if you're seeking God an answer or you're reading his word diligently every day or listening to it or or seeking his face, you need to know that when God speaks to you 
or something comes along your way about, upon the thing that you were just thinking about, that's God's answer to you, and you need to take heed and listen. Because I've been guilty not to do that, just like the disciples. And even as I stand here right now today, God's telling me, hey, I've been speaking to you about some things, Ed. My son, are you listening to me? And we all got to come to repentance. And when God speaks to us, we got to say, okay, God, all right, I'll listen. And then I'll do what you say, and I'll stop closing my ear off. Because you don't want to be one that closes his ear off when God speaks to you. Because then when things happen or don't happen, you can't blame him because he was trying to tell you, just like the disciples here. We can't blame Jesus. It wasn't his fault they weren't ready for his death, burial, and resurrection. They weren't paying attention. We can't blame God. If we're not paying attention, something happens or doesn't happen, and then it doesn't happen, we can't blame him. Go, oh, God, you didn't tell us. Yeah, he told us. We just weren't listening. All right. Moving forward. In between verses 2 and 3 and 4, we have an interesting thing happen here. So he comes, he finishes his, his sayings from last week, he shows as he does, then he warns them again, but then we have a real interesting thing happen between verses 2 and 3 and 4 here in our Matthew chapter 26. So look at verse 2 again. I'm going to read it over and then I'm going to read 3 and 4. 2, he says real quick again, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up and be crucified. Verse 3, then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. Did you see what just happened there? We have one scene. We have Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he's warning them about what's going to happen to him. Then we have the very next scene. We have the religious leaders with the elders of the people gathering together to talk about the same thing that he just was t- warning his disciples was going to happen. Have you ever been watching a movie and you're watching a movie and you're enthralled and there's a scene and then all of a sudden they break off the scene and then it pans to another scene and then here is a whole different scene. Well, here we have a compl- like a scene switch, like a movie scene switch, almost like you're, you're watching a movie again, like you're watching a movie and then boom, you're seeing one thing and then ooh, it switches and then you, you see another scene. And then, but in this case, the neat thing I see here is that Jesus is just speaking about what this event that's going to happen to him. And then the scene that we pan to is the religious leaders and the elders of the people plotting against him to do the thing which he just told his disciples was going to happen to him. I think that that's pretty cool. Why do I think that's cool? Is it makes me wonder if Jesus talked to his disciples about this subject right at this moment on purpose because... You'll catch this here with our title now. He knew that the religious leaders were about to gather together to put their plan together to fulfill what he just told his disciples about. Remember, our title of our sermon is El Roy, right? The God who sees. Well, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And he is the God who sees. So I think it's neat that he might have told his disciples this, knowing that right after he was done telling his disciples about this, the religious leaders and the elders of the people were going to gather together to plot to do this same thing that he had just told them about. I think that's neat. So anyway, these evil-hearted religious leaders and elders of the people gather together to plan out his execution. You may be saying, well, Pastor Ed, how do you know? Are you really sure that they're evil? Well, I just want to break down what they did here, and I want to look at their evil for just a moment, Okay. If you think of them as good, then we, we got to change our thinking because they really weren't good. They were evil. They, they were plotting out this man, this innocent man's murder. But just to give you an idea of how evil these religious leaders really were, do you know what it's called to plan out a murder? In our terms in America today, we call that premeditated murder. And just how bad is and how evil is premeditating a murder considered in America? According to criminallawyers.com, under America's laws today, a person can be charged for murder just for planning it. It's called an inchoate crime. Inchoate crime. It's a crime that you plan to do, and in this case, murder is a planable crime that you don't have to actually commit. You can just plan it. 
And just by the planning of his murder, they could have been put in prison and gotten charged with murder. Not sure about the laws back then, but these guys in today's society would have gone to prison just for planning Jesus' murder if someone would have turned them in. Isn't that crazy? It's called an inchoate crime. And after someone murders a person and the investigation shows that they murdered with premeditation or they planned it out, it's called a first degree murder. And that's just and just how bad is a first degree murder or a premeditated murder? According to criminallawfreeadvice.com, first degree murder or also called capital murder as it's often called is the most serious form of murder. There's no worse type of murder than premeditated or first-degree murder or capital murder. How bad did God consider premeditated murder in the Bible? The punishment for someone who murdered according to God, who premeditatedly murdered, who planned it out, who, you know, worked it out in their mind and then went and did it, the punishment for premeditated murder was death. There was no put him in prison and let the taxpayers pay his way for 20, 30 more years, and then maybe he'll get parole, maybe he won't. No, 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 it was death. Leviticus 24, 17, Exodus 21, 12, Genesis 9, 6, Numbers 35, 30 through 31, just to name a few where God speaks on this matter of the, the penalty for premeditated murder. Now, there was provision for non-premeditated murder. If the one who kills was found innocent, meaning the murder was accidental, then that one was allowed to flee to what God called the city of refuge, to wait until the high priest died. Then the person who killed someday could, you know, that killed accidentally could some, someday come back home. Reason behind God saying that they had to flee to the city of refuge because they had this man that was supposed to go and avenge the people that were murdered. And God said, I live in the land, and since I live in the land of Israel, and since you're my children, my Israelites, since I dwell in the land, I can't have a murderer, even if it's accidental, in my land, because it's the shedding of blood, and we know that God says that there's life in the blood. So either way, there was no, there was no absolutely zero tolerance for someone that killed premeditarily. That you, infant, that's it, just death. The death penalty, capital punishment, boom, that was it, they're done. But for somebody that accidentally, there was a provision for that. So these evil-hearted guys here premeditated out Jesus' murder right here in these two verses. So these, evil, these guys were so evil, they gathered together to plan out the worst kind of murder. Remember, first-degree murder or premeditated murder. Do their hearts convict them? Because you may be thinking, well, they were evil, but did they have a conscience? Do evil people really have a conscience? Yes. Do their hearts convict them of this heinous crime that they were about to commit? Of course their hearts convict them of this evil. How you say, look at verse 5, our last verse of today. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Well, how do you say that their hearts convicted them of the evil crime that they were planning on doing, that they were planning on committing? Well, they planned to do this heinous crime, but they planned not to do it in the public eye. Notice, they didn't want to do it in front of the masses of people. Why? Because it was an evil thing to do. After all, Jesus was an innocent man, right? He had never hurt anybody. He had never killed anybody. He had never committed a crime against anybody. Yet, they found it necessary to plan out his death by brutal murder, but they wouldn't do their brutal murder in the open where the masses could see it. Well, I could tell you that I know that one a long time ago, I used to be an evil-hearted person as far as I, and I lived for that, okay? And I know when I was a criminal, before Christ changed me, before Christ saved me, I always tried to do my evil under the cover of night, just like they did. They didn't want to do it in the open. Oh, I often didn't do my evil, my heinous acts where everybody could see. I did the evil that I did behind in the dark at night or in the back alleys or where nobody could see. I did it where I was being around the side, right? I did it where where nobody could openly see me, just like these guys here. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I just simply didn't care 
that what I was doing was wrong, and I just did it anyway. These guys here, their hearts, hearts convict them. They say, well, we don't want to do it in front of the masses. Let's do it. They, they planned their terrible murder, but they didn't do it in the open at the feast where the masses of people would see it because the people would make an uproar. Well, why would the people make an uproar? Why would the people be making an uproar? Well, because Jesus, again, as I said, is an innocent man. The people knew he hadn't done anything. The people loved him, in fact. He fed the people. He took care of the people. He, he healed the people. He did all kinds of nice things for the people. He taught the people the way to heaven. He taught the religious leaders the way to heaven. Show me his fault that they wanted to kill him. Which, because you won't find one. He was not deserving of death. And so the people would have known that this was a wrong thing to do and they would have gone against the religious leaders and the elders of the people who were trying to arrest him. Their deed was evil. They were evil-hearted. Their arrest of an innocent man was an evil act. How do they end up coming and arresting Jesus Christ? Well, in a few weeks from today, we'll read about it. But just a glimpse, Matthew 26, 47 through 57, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, away from the masses of people who loved him and being non-threatening to anybody. In fact, he was just hanging out with his disciples and he was praying, simply just praying. And these cowards, these evil-hearted cowards come and they committed their evil act of arresting him. So we read today about these evil-hearted guys who planned out the murder of an innocent man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Then we read how they started to fulfill their plan by arresting him while he was away from the masses and the crowds. And then shortly after these two things happened, maybe a month or so from now, we're going to read about how they fulfilled their plan by murdering Jesus Christ. And again, their murder wasn't just any murder, but it was a premeditated murder. And so their premeditated murder becomes first-degree murder, which is, again, the worst kind of murder that that there was, that there is. And these guys, by the way, considered themselves to be godly men, servants of God. Wow. They were really, really deceived. But remember our title. Remember the whole theme that's been running through the whole message today. Our title again, El Roy, the God who sees. Bible says in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, Paul says, just as I also told you in time past, so not something I've just told you now, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Period. The end. If you're practicing hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, all these things, Paul says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just to FYI, these people who thought that they were people of God committed about eight of these works of the flesh against Christ Jesus because they envied him. They were in heresy against God. Look at the outbursts of wrath, planning premeditated murder. They They had selfish ambitions. They wanted all the people's praise for themselves. They had envy. They envied Christ because people followed him. They were murderers because they planned out his murder, and then they went ahead and finished out his murder. So they committed or practiced about eight of these works of the flesh. But guess what? Elroy, or the God who sees, he saw it. He saw all their works of the flesh. Which means, the Bible says, If they never repented of their works of the flesh, they ended up going to hell when they died. And that's so sad because they had the same choice we talked about in the beginning of the message. They could have chose to seek God or they could have chose to live against God. And these guys chose to live against God. And we can't say that they just committed these sins, oh, by happen chance, right? Because we just went through that. They premeditatedly 
if that's even a word, they premeditated his death. They just weren't walking around, oh, no, 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 oh, and all of a sudden they, they were, you know, chopping down some corn and they whacked Jesus' head off. Oh, no, what did I do? No, they weren't living lives of righteousness unto God, and then they just blew it and they murdered him. No, again, they committed first-degree murder, which is premeditated or thought out perfectly or planned ahead of time, as we read about in Matthew 26, 3 through 4 in today's scripture. In closing, for us, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners, ladies and gentlemen. We're all sinners. Romans 3, 23, we're all sinners. But what way of life would you say that you live today? Do you live a life following Jesus and his ways? You say the ways of righteousness? You're seeking God. You have an earnest love for God. You live your ways for God. But then you make mistakes. Oh, and then you say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I sinned. Oh, forgive me and help me not do it anymore. That's the way of righteousness. We're all going to blow it. We're all going to sin. We're all going to make accidents. And we're going to sin. There's nobody perfect. Romans 3.23. But do you live a life as a whole of following Christ and His ways and righteousness? Or do you live a, a life of the ways of the flesh, like the evil-hearted religious leaders and the leaders of the people did that we read of today? A life lived following the works of flesh purposefully. Do you practice adultery? Do you practice fornication? Do you practice uncleanness and lewdness, idolatry? Do you hold other things above God? Sorcery, do you just hate people and you practice hatred? Do you contend against people, contentions, jealousies? Are you jealous of everybody else and what they have? Do you commit outbursts of wrath purposefully? You just live that way and you'd have no care that it offends God or not. Are you just selfish ambition? Is it all about me? All the stuff that I can have. Dissensions, heresies. Do you live your life in heresy against God? Worshiping other things. Do you envy others? Do you have murder in your heart? Do you hate people just because, oh, you hate people? Because Jesus said, even if you hate a man without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. Are you a murderer? Are you practicing drunkenness, revelries, parties, going out and having fun, oh, doing whatever? And do you practice these things? with no regard unto God, and you live a lifestyle just like the religious leaders that we read of today. Is that you? Whatever kind of life you live, whether for Christ or against Christ, El Roy is watching you, and he wants you to know that. For he sees all that you do. He sees all that I do. He sees all about everything everybody does. Remember last week we talked about the great white throne judgment. And I even talked about it today. Revelation 20.12 says, And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So not only does Elroy see, for he is the God who sees, but everything we do in our lives, he writes down in a book. And even though we're all sinners, those that are on the righteous path that still blow it, but they're living for Christ and they're living righteous, he writes our works down too and we're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And even though we blow it, we we ask for forgiveness of our sins and then our deeds get erased because the blood of Christ covers them and we're cleansed. But if you don't ever repent and turn to Christ and you live that wicked life for your flesh, all your deeds, your evil are written down in the book, and then when you die and you're judged, those works will be brought back to your attention. And Elroy, the God who sees, will show them to you, and you'll see them, just like we read about in Revelation 20, 12. If you don't really live a life for Jesus Christ, but you have somehow, somehow deceived people into thinking that you do, like the religious leaders of today's scripture, you may have fooled people, the Bible says. Remember the religious leaders. They fooled a lot of people. They, they led a lot of people to believe that they were okay. In fact, the masses of people thought they were really good and godly people. They honored them, gave them the best seats in the synagogues. We've talked about that before. But you know what? 
Bible says that nobody fools Elroy. Nobody fools the God who sees, for he sees everything. And if that's you today, and if you are living willfully for the flesh, and you're not choosing to seek God, and you know he loves you anyway, but you're just not choosing to live your life for him, and you're not choosing to seek him, then please, would you take a step of repentance today from your heart? That means from your heart you earnestly cry out to God because you realize that he's got you. You, maybe you didn't know before today that God sees everything you do. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you didn't know the Bible says that about God. But now you do. And now you know you're had. And man, all the people, I don't care if you're a pastor out there. I don't care if you're a layman. I don't care if you're a deacon or I don't care if you're whoever. You don't even go to church. But people around you think, man, well, you're a godly guy. Or you're a godly gal. But you know inside, man, I'm, I live for myself in the flesh. Well, Elroy... He sees it, and he knows it. And today, he's calling you out on it, but he's asking you to repent because he still loves you despite your evil, despite how you choose to live a life against him and a life for the flesh. He says, would you repent, my child? I love you, and I gave up my life for you. I died for you on the cross. Turn to me. And that's what it means, repent. Turn to him. Turn to Christ away from your sin. And live in purpose to live for him from this moment on and not for yourself anymore. Turn from your sins. Turn to God for real, the Bible says, and do the works fitting of repentance. Meaning, I say I turn to Christ. Now let's see the works behind the turning to Christ. Let's see the real love for God. Let's see the real love for God's kids. Let's see the change God says, because I see everything, God says. And if you do already live for Christ Jesus, even if it doesn't seem as if he knows the life of love you've lived for him, because I know I often feel that way. I live for God every day, but it doesn't always seem like God knows. But he does, and I'm glad he told me to teach this sermon because it was a good reminder for me too. Please know he's not a liar like like the devil. He's the father of lies. God is a righteous judge, and he is Elroy, and he sees your love for him and his children always, and he will be faithful to reward you when your turn comes to die, and you'll be with him forever, and you'll be rewarded for your love for him. One of my most favorite sections of Scripture of how God sees what those that love him do is Revelation 8, just four verses. And this section of Scripture has touched me in a powerful way in the past, and I hope it touches you now. If you're God's and you're wondering right now, is, does God see all the time I spend with Him? Does God see the righteous works that I do? Does God see? Yes. Listen to what He says in Revelation 8, 1-4. through 4, We read, When He opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. For I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood in the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the altar, which was before the throne. Did you know that your prayers are before, that that God stores your prayers? And that he keeps every prayer that you've ever prayed, and they're with him? Because right here... This angel offers in this incense with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne. This is toward the end now. Listen, verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascend before God from the angel's hand. And now this being toward the end, and we're not there yet, means that God's keeping all your prayers, which means that he sees it. Every time we pray, he sees every loving thing we do for him. He sees every moment of time we spend with him. He sees it when you're reading his word. He sees it if you're not reading his word. He sees everything. And if you live a life of love to God, he sees it. And every prayer you pray, he hears it now, and he's going to see it again at the end. Because all your prayers are saved up. And they're going to be offered before him toward the very end. 
So if you're your, if you're his, excuse me, and you really love him, don't give up. You have total trust and confidence in him until the end. And serve him with all your heart. Keep praying and, and doing whatever else God has given you to do because El Roy sees it and knows it and will be faithful to reward you in the end when your end comes. That's just how much he loves you. And he sees and knows everything you do, even when you're faithful to him or whether you're not. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this awesome day, Lord. Thank you so much for your word. And thank you so much for the reminder, dear God, that you see. Lord God, that brings so much comfort to me. Lord God, knowing that you see. That although I know I blow it, I know I sin, I know, Lord God, I don't want to sin. And Lord, I ask for forgiveness and I repent. And I'll do it often. Lord, I long to live a life of righteousness unto you. And Lord, it brings so much comfort to me, Lord, that I know that you see the way I live for you. And even this prayer right now that I'm praying right now, Lord, you're going to remember this prayer. You hear it now and you're going to remember it forever as it'll be before your throne offered with this incense one day. Wow. That's awesome, Lord. Brings me so much comfort. Brings me so much confidence, Lord. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray for the saints out there today, those that love you. I pray that they would keep going. They keep doing what you call them to do. And I pray they keep praying and seeking your face and keep living a life of love to you. More and more and more and more and more and more and more. For Lord, they, you see it. And Lord, may that be their motivation because you see it and you love them. And I pray they keep going to the end. Whether it be, a, no matter whatever kind of end it is, it's a good end, not a bitter end. Because when our end comes, Lord, you'll see our faithfulness and you'll welcome us home. Well done, good and faithful servant. But Lord, I pray for those that are out there that are not. Maybe they're fooling people because people think they're religious or they're okay with you, but they're not. Because Elroy, you see that. I pray repentance for those folks, Lord. I pray you bring them to repentance. Show them the error of their ways, Lord God, and bring them to their knees. Bring them to Christ. And may they turn from their wicked and evil ways and turn to you so you can see it, Lord God, and then they can start living for you, Lord God and then get saved. Lord, thank you so much. And I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you, Lord God. And I thank you for all your goodness, and all your wisdom, and all your mercy. And I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.